This is AFF On Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast, bringing you the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. G'day and welcome to episode 31 of AFF On Air. It's Saturday the 7th of March 2020 and I'm your host Matt Graham, the editor of Australian Frequent Flyer. The coronavirus outbreak has had an unprecedented impact on the travel industry and on the world. Thousands of flights have been cancelled. Many countries, as well as private businesses, have implemented travel restrictions and airlines have already started going out of business. Millions have had their travel plans disrupted. The current pandemic brings with it many unknowns, but one thing is for sure, this is no longer business as usual. In this episode, I take a detailed look at the impact that the coronavirus outbreak is having on the travel industry, how it could affect us as travellers, and what to do if your travel plans have been disrupted. Also coming up in today's episode, there's a brand new Star Alliance status match available. Find out how to get Star Alliance gold status for both you and a friend or a family member for as little as $118. Plus, how to get a great deal on award flight redemptions by taking advantage of award chart sweet spots. That's coming up later in the episode, but first let's take a look at what else is making news in the world of airlines and frequent flyer points this fortnight. Firstly, Virgin Australia has temporarily closed its lounge at Adelaide Airport while construction of a new and much improved lounge takes place. The new Virgin Australia lounge in Adelaide is expected to open in the second week of April. In the meantime, Virgin is operating what it's calling a summer pop-up at Adelaide Airport with limited services and capacity. The temporary lounge is not serving hot food, nor are there toilets or showers. Frequent flyers of Virgin's partner airlines and those using single-entry lounge passes do not have access to the lounge due to space constraints, and everyone else will be welcome in up to 90 minutes before their flight departs. Virgin Australia will no longer print Velocity Frequent Flyer membership numbers on boarding passes that are issued by airport check-in kiosks. In addition, Velocity Frequent Flyer members are now required to show their digital lounge membership cards along with their boarding passes in order to access Virgin Australia lounges. It follows a similar change made by Qantas last year due to privacy reasons. Meanwhile, the Virgin Australia Group posted a first-half loss of $100 million last week. As the Virgin Australia Group's review of its network and supplier costs continues, it was also announced last Wednesday that Tiger Air will withdraw from five loss-making routes by the end of April. Tiger Air will also remove all remaining A320s from its fleet by October. Tiger Air, of course, is owned 100% by Virgin Australia. Virgin has also reduced some of its flights across the Tasman to New Zealand over the coming months, but it still intends to commence service from Brisbane to Tokyo at the end of this month, even though the airline has cancelled all media activities and events that were going to happen at the launch. Virgin Australia estimates that the impact of coronavirus on its business could be $50 to $75 million this financial year. Brisbane Airport's new parallel runway has an official opening date now. It's now due to open on the 12th of July 2020. The construction project of the new runway at Brisbane Airport cost around $1.1 billion and as part of the project, around four years of engineered compression was required to solidify the ground because the runway is built on what was previously part of the Brisbane River Delta. But the new runway is expected to generate far beyond its cost price in terms of long-term economic benefits for both the airport and Brisbane City. 
In advance of the official runway opening, Brisbane Airport will organise two community events, a runway fun run and a free open day. Nearby in Maroochydore, a new runway at Sunshine Coast Airport is expected to open on the 21st of May this year, a couple of months before the Brisbane runway. Qantas will sit, switch its seasonal Sydney to Vancouver route from a Boeing 747 to a Boeing 787-9 Dreamliner service from next summer, as the 747 fleet nears retirement. Qantas traditionally operates a three-weekly service from Sydney to Vancouver over December and January. Next summer, the route will operate for an extra month, running from the 12th of December until the 27th of February 2021. The route takes advantage of demand from Australians travelling to Canada for the ski season, as well as Canadians escaping the northern winter for the sun and beaches of Australia. Air New Zealand has recently revealed a prototype for lie-flat bunk beds to be installed in the economy-class cabin on its long-haul aircraft. The Air New Zealand Skynest, as it's called, would contain six sleeping pods that could be rented out by economy-class passengers on an hourly basis. Each sleeping pod comes with a pillow, blanket, sheets, privacy, curtains, and earplugs. It's certainly an innovative idea, but before you get too excited, the product is still only a prototype. It has not yet been approved for commercial use, and in fact, Air New Zealand won't even decide whether to go ahead with installing this product until the end of this year. But watch this space. It could be an interesting one. Qantas Frequent Flyer has enhanced its points reinstatement challenge, and not in a good way. If your Qantas points expired, Qantas used to offer you the opportunity to earn your points back if you contacted them within 12 months and then completed a challenge by earning at least 2,500 Qantas points from at least two different sources within six months. Qantas still offers this challenge, however on completion you'll now only get 50% of your points back. Qantas made this change to its policy in January, just a couple of months after telling the ACCC's review into loyalty schemes that it offered its members the chance to get all of their points back through the challenge. UK regional airline Flybe has entered administration. All Flybe flights have been grounded and customers have been told not to travel to the airport. Flybe has been in financial trouble for some time already, It was purchased by a consortium that included Virgin Atlantic in 2019 and the plan was for Flybe to be rebranded as Virgin Connect, feeding passengers from UK regional airports into Virgin Atlantic's long-haul network. Unfortunately, the airline continued to bleed money and investors decided this week that they were no no longer willing to pour money into the dying airline given the very weak current demand for air travel. Meanwhile, online travel agency Fly365 has also gone out of business. Many hundreds of Fly365 customers have had their tickets cancelled, but have not received a refund for the airfare paid. These customers have been left in limbo by the former travel agency, which has taken down its website and all social media accounts. Qantas has released a new safety demonstration video to celebrate its 100th anniversary this year. The video showcases Qantas innovations, aircraft, and all the different uniforms from each decade um, of the airline's proud history. Personally, I really like the new video. Here's a taste. This year's a number 504 biplane, made from timber and canvas. You're flying on a Qantas Boeing 787 Dreamliner. Sounds a bit flasher than this old girl. 
1930s, Qantas are world leaders in aviation innovation with fully enclosed cabins, an in-flight bathroom and even seatbelts. Fasten your seatbelt by inserting the clasp into the buckle. You can catch the full video on Qantas flights from the beginning of March. A motel on the New South Wales south coast has been caught charging a guest an extra $50 for leaving a slightly negative review on Booking.com. The motel's manager claimed that their terms and conditions allowed the motel to charge guests for damages and that they were therefore allowed to charge for the bad review as it had caused damage to the motel's reputation. The invoice stated that the charge would be refunded if the review was removed within 24 hours. What a joke. Well, the ironic twist is that this motel's brand is now so badly damaged that it's had to temporarily close after a public and social media backlash. And as demand for international air travel falls off a cliff, airlines have started resorting to some extreme fare discounting to stimulate demand, and I'm sure there's going to be plenty more of this to come. Airfares to destinations like the United States, New Zealand and Asia are now at near record lows. Last week, Qantas was selling return flights from Melbourne to Los Angeles or San Francisco, for example, for just $719 return, and United Airlines was even cheaper at $717 return on both routes. Meanwhile, Air Canada is currently selling flights from Sydney, Melbourne or Brisbane to Calgary in Canada for around $870 return. We also saw both Qantas and Virgin Australia last week selling full-service flights from Australia to New Zealand for as little as $270 return, and Air New Zealand at the same time was selling routes, uh, selling seats on routes like Melbourne to Christchurch for as little as $190 return. That's less than the normal one-way price. Jetstar flights to Thailand are now on sale for as little as $379 return, for example, from Melbourne to Bangkok. Or you can fly from Brisbane to Uluru right now uh, for $79 one way. Air New Zealand also has some exceptional deals right now from Sydney to Rarotonga in the Cook Islands. And Hawaiian Airlines has extended its business class sale on flights from Sydney and Brisbane to Honolulu, just to name a few of the offers that are out there at the moment. Of course, not everyone is going to be willing to travel in the current climate, which is entirely fair enough, but if you are up for it, there are some exceptional deals out there. That's what's making news this fortnight. For more regular news updates and deals, subscribe to the Australian Frequent Fly Gazette or follow us on Facebook. Well, unless you've been living under a rock for the past month, you will no doubt be aware of the current global situation with coronavirus or COVID-19 the situation that we currently find ourselves in is unprecedented. There have been epidemics in the past, like swine flu, SARS and Ebola, and the aviation industry has certainly suffered downturns before, like in the aftermath of 9-11. But many experts are predicting that the impact of the current pandemic will be more significant than all of these events. This is no longer business as usual. Understandably, there has been a lot of discussion about coronavirus and the impact it's having on travel on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum over the past few weeks, so much so that we have this week created a dedicated forum uh, for this topic. Now, I'm not a medical expert and I'm not here to offer health advice. I'm also not here to tell you what to think, nor to sensationalise what's happening. The mainstream media and social media is already doing an excellent job of that. Um, the ridiculous uh, run of torn toilet paper this week, of course, proves that. But uh, I'm here to talk about how the current situation will impact on travel and on the global economy. 
Now, I will also preface this segment by saying that the information on the COVID-19 outbreak is constantly changing. I'm recording this on the morning of Saturday, the 7th of March, but by the time you listen to this podcast, things could have already changed. Now, first of all, I want to say that this is not an apocalypse. The world is not going to end. Nonetheless, the current events are having a huge impact on the travel industry. Regardless of your personal risk of getting coronavirus or your views on the situation, it is now going to be harder to travel overseas, at least in the next few months, and that's a fact. Over the last month or so, the global response to coronavirus has been focused on containment, but the virus has spread now so quickly into so many countries, including now Italy, Iran, and South Korea, and there have already been been deaths in Australia, and uh, yesterday even the UK reported its first coronavirus-related death. So it's very likely that it will soon be declared a pandemic. And in fact, on the 27th of February, Prime Minister Scott Morrison specifically warned that this uh, could be the case and that the Australian government is now starting to prepare for the possibility that this will be declared a pandemic. The World Health Organization has also told countries to prepare for this possible scenario, although at the time of recording, it has stopped short of using the word pandemic. Either way, this virus is very difficult to contain, and that's because it can take up to 14 days or even longer in rare cases before symptoms develop. What's more, some people may have the virus and be asymptomatic. This means that it's likely that some people, not everyone, but some people could travel and spread the disease to other more vulnerable people without realising. Airports in some countries have now started checking the temperatures of arriving and transiting passengers, and this may help but there is still a possibility that the testing uh, won't detect coronavirus in some passengers. Now, on the testing of people at airports, the World Health Organization says this. Temperature screening alone at uh, at exit or entry is not an effective way to stop international spread. Since infected individuals may be in incubation period and may not express apparent symptoms early on in the course of the disease. So, uh, yeah, that is a little bit of a problem. And because... Because of this, it's particularly difficult to contain the virus, and uh, as we keep hearing, a vaccine is still potentially 12 to 18 months away. And because of this, Mark Lipsitch, who's an expert on viruses at Harvard University, said that uh, it's possible that 40 to 70% of the world's population could eventually be exposed to COVID-19. Now, at the time of recording this, the number of confirmed global cases has already reached 100,000. But that does not mean that we should all panic. For balance, Lipsitch also stresses that the virus is not an existential threat, nor will it bring the world to its knees. It could just be, and I quote, making things awful for a while. Now, again, I'm not here to try and create panic, um, but this is is what um, some medical experts have been saying. So in the current situation, should we be avoiding overseas travel? Now, this is a very difficult question to answer, and the answer could vary from person to person. Ultimately, I guess you'll have to weigh out the risks and uh, make a decision for yourself. But So what I'm going to do is discuss some of the arguments on both sides. Now, a good place to get advice about travel in general is always smarttraveller.com.au. That's the website run by the Australian Government Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, or DFAT, and it's updated regularly with the latest information and travel advice. Now, at this point, the Australian Government has raised its advice level for six countries. It has been advising travellers not to go to China already for about a month. This week, the government also began advising travellers not to visit Iran or Daegu in South Korea. It has also raised its advice level for Japan, Italy and Mongolia. 
But for other countries, the advice level has not changed because of coronavirus. The Australian government is not advising travellers to avoid other countries other than those I've just mentioned at this point because of coronavirus. What about the World Health Organization? Well, as of now, the World Health Organization is actually advising against the application of trade and travel restrictions. Now, um, I'll quote the, what the World Health Organization says is this. In general, evidence shows that restricting the movement of people and goods during public health emergencies is ineffective in most situations and may divert resources from other interventions. Furthermore, restrictions may interrupt needed aid and technical support, may disrupt businesses, and may have negative social and economic effects on the affected countries. However, in certain circumstances, measures that restrict the movement of people may prove temporarily useful, such as in settings with few international connections and limited response capacities. So the World Health Organization offers to international travelers specifically the following advice. And again, I'll quote, It is prudent for travelers who are sick to delay or avoid travel to affected areas, in particular for elderly travelers and people with chronic diseases or underlying health conditions. General recommendations for personal hygiene, cough etiquette, and keeping a distance of at least one meter from persons showing symptoms remain particularly important for all travelers. These include performing hand hygiene regularly, covering your nose and mouth when coughing, refraining from touching your nose and mouth. Um, But it also says that a medical mask is not required if you're not exhibiting symptoms. And the World Health Organization goes on to say that if you do need to wear a mask, it's critical to follow best practices on how to wear, remove, and dispose of the mask. Now, a number of travel industry professionals and travel writers have uh, come out and said that they don't think people should be avoiding overseas travel at this time. This week, G Adventures founder Bruce Poontip went on the record saying that he still believes travel is incredibly safe and emphasizing also the important role that tourism plays in terms of wealth distribution and supporting local communities around the world who rely on tourism. And Gilbert Ott, who writes for the blog Gold Save the Points this week, put out an opinion piece where he argued that the world needs travel and coronavirus is everywhere anyway. He argues that you're now just as likely to get the virus at home as you are overseas. And with so many good travel deals available right now, you might as well go and explore the world, which needs tourism now more than ever. However, he does, of course, emphasize that it's a personal decision and that you need to weigh up the risks to your own personal health and the health of those around you. Now, I've posted links to both of these articles, as well as the advice from Smart Traveller and from the World Health Organization in the episode notes. And if you're interested, feel free to have a read. Now, for balance, there are also some compelling arguments about why now is not a good time to travel overseas. Uh, Firstly, the situation is changing daily. Just because it's safe to visit somewhere today doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be safe in a month's time. I mean, who could have predicted that um, northern Italy, for example, would become a coronavirus hotspot? Many countries are also now introducing their own travel restrictions. At this point, the Australian government is not allowing anyone other than citizens or permanent residents to enter Australia if they've been to China, Iran or South Korea in the last 14 days. There is also now additional screening for anyone that's coming back from northern Italy. But Australia is just one of a growing list of countries to have introduced their own restrictions. For example, Samoa and French Polynesia, so Tahiti, are now requiring travellers to have a medical certificate from the past five days confirming that they're healthy before they're allowed to enter the country. New Zealand has placed restrictions on people coming from Iran. Saudi Arabia has even suspended Hajj pilgrimages to Mecca. 
Singapore has temporarily banned foreigners that have been to mainland China, Iran, northern Italy or South Korea in the past 14 days from entering or even transiting through Singapore via Changi Airport. Kuwait is another one. It's requiring travelers from a long list of countries, including the Philippines, India, Turkey, Sri Lanka, and Georgia, to get a medical check before being allowed in. And the list goes on. These are just a few examples. Many other countries have also introduced restrictions, and these are constantly changing. Uh, and you can see a full list of uh, restrictions on the IATA website, which is being regularly updated. And uh, I've pasted a link to this page in the episode notes. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, these restrictions make it increasingly difficult to travel overseas and not risk getting stuck somewhere, uh, particularly because they are constantly changing and new ones are being added all the time. And that's another potential issue. If you do happen to get sick while you're overseas, you could end up being quarantined somewhere that you don't necessarily want to be. There's also the hassle of having to fill out the extra forms and having to go through extra checks when, uh, when traveling between countries as countries try and control, obviously, the spread of the, of the virus into their country. Um, and despite the heightened risk of overseas travel at the moment, travel insurance may not cover you for issues relating directly to coronavirus. Now, we always say that travel insurance is essential when traveling overseas, and this is still the case. I mean, it, it will still cover you for lots of other things that could go wrong when you're traveling. But uh, if you purchased travel insurance before coronavirus became a known event, uh, which happened around the end of January, you may still be covered, but only if your insurance policy doesn't exclude epidemics or pandemic events. Uh, now, I did write an article about this recently, which again, I've linked in the episode notes. The other issue is that, that now, is, now that coronavirus is a known event, new travel insurance policies that you're buying now won't cover expenses if you decide to cancel your trip um, unless, unless the advice for your destination has been changed by the Australian government to do not travel. And nor will um, medical expenses be covered if you do happen to tra- contract coronavirus while overseas. Uh, now, the only exception is there is a cancel for any reason uh, travel insurance policy offered through Covermore via various third parties. And uh, if you get the cancel for any reason travel insurance, then you could, of course, cancel if you change your mind about traveling due to coronavirus. And there are a few conditions uh, surrounding that, but it is a possibility. So clearly, traveling overseas at the moment is a bit more risky than usual, even if you're not directly at risk of health complications from coronavirus. And this has unfortunately caused demand for air travel to weaken, and in some markets like China and Korea, it's almost fallen off a cliff. As a result, many airlines have been forced to cancel flights, not not necessarily because of the virus directly, but simply because of a lack of demand. They simply can't afford to fly empty planes for a long period of time, and so they're doing this to mitigate their losses. Now, for those of us still traveling, that creates even more complications because um, schedules are being messed around by all the cancellations, and so it's a bit of a downward spiral, really. Just this week, uh, Qantas and Jetstar cancelled even more flights to Asia. For example, Qantas is going to end its uh, seasonal service to Sapporo two weeks early. Asiana has just cancelled flights to Sydney until the end of March so far, and Korean Air has just cancelled flights to Brisbane until the 25th of April, and of course, more changes are likely. Some airlines, unfortunately, uh, will go out of business over this. And in fact, Flybee, as you just heard earlier, already has gone out of business. Airlines globally are now faced with a lack of forward bookings, which impacts cash flow. Many airlines have now decided to waive change fees in order to encourage travelers to keep booking. 
uh, and many of the US airlines have done this. Uh, and in fact, in just the last day or so, we've also seen airlines outside the US to, uh, introduce similar policies, including Japan Airlines and Lufthansa. They almost have no choice but to do this because if enough, steeple, if enough people are spooked into no longer booking flights, the airlines just won't have cash flow and eventually the weaker ones will go out of business. Hotels are suffering too, especially in places like China where the impact so far has been the greatest. Many hotel chains have now offered elite status extensions to their elite members in recognition of the fact that many are unable to travel at the moment. Some chains so far have restricted this to members living in Greater China, but a couple of hotel chains, including Hyatt and Shangri-La, have also applied this policy to members in Australia. And some Hilton Honours members in Australia have also been receiving status extensions in the last few days. Some airlines have also been taking action to avoid losing some of their top tier members that are temporarily grounded because they're not allowed to travel. Singapore Airlines has been extending the elite status of selected long-term Chris Flyer members, for example, and Cathay Pacific in the next few months is going to be topping up its members' Marco Polo club accounts with a few extra club points each month. But if the crisis worsens, I would expect to see more being done. Airlines don't want to risk uh, losing their rusted-on loyal members, and um, if they lose their status, once they uh, once things are back to normal and once they start travelling again, they might go might go and check out other airlines. So obviously they don't want this from their most valuable customers. Unfortunately, many countries that rely heavily on tourism will suffer economically over the coming months. Many tourism and travel industry workers will lose their jobs, even in destinations where there is no outbreak, simply because people are spooked about travelling. And sadly, I've seen firsthand the impact that epidemics can have on local communities through no fault of their own. In July 2015, around the same time as the Ebola outbreak in Sierra Leone, Liberia, and Guinea, I travelled to South Africa. Now, South Africa has never had a case of Ebola, but uh, still a lot of people uh, were spooked, and uh, a lot of the hotels I was staying at were half empty, and the, the hoteliers and the tourism operators were telling me that so many people had cancelled their trips over the last few months, um, especially American tourists, due to a f uh, fears about Ebola. Um, which were not necessarily rational because there had never been a case and there was never a case in South Africa. Nonetheless, people were losing their jobs and businesses were really hurting. Now, I'm not saying at all that the current coronavirus outbreak is the same as, as the Ebola outbreak. They are quite different for multiple reasons, but the economic impact, particularly on the tourism industry, will be similar. And this time it will be felt across the whole world, not just Africa. Compounding the situation is the fact that many private businesses have suspended all overseas travel and placed self-imposed limitations on the personal travel of their employees as well. Meanwhile, many conferences are being cancelled all over the world as some countries introduce bans on large gatherings of, of people. Now, of course, some, uh, these are perfectly rational responses to the threat of a pandemic, um, but nonetheless, the impact will be felt by, by all airlines, hotels, and travel-related businesses over the coming months. The cruise industry will also suffer considerably as a result of this outbreak. Now, regarding cruises, the Smart Traveller website is currently warning travellers to expect possible changes to itineraries and delays. Uh, and of course, uh, most of us will have seen some of the stories about cruises being stuck um, and not being allowed to dock because of cases of coronavirus on board. But um, the Smart Traveller website also says that the cruise industry is putting in place strong measures to protect the health and safety of, its, of passengers and crew, 
including new screening measures to present uh, to prevent sick people from boarding a cruise. So that that is somewhat encouraging. But nonetheless, the cruise industry will be really hurting at the moment. If you're thinking about booking a cruise at the moment, you may wish to have a read of the AFF thread about cruising while there's an active pandemic. And once again, I have linked this thread in the episode notes. So check it out if you're interested. So what can you do if you currently have travel booked and you're not sure whether you can go or you want to cancel? Well, for now, my my personal suggestion would be actually to wait and see. Now, if you're due to travel imminently, say in the coming days and weeks, then check the advice level for your destination. I guess you just have to weigh out the benefits and risks, particularly in terms of what your travel insurance will and will not cover. But if you're not due to travel until much later this year or even next year, I think it's it's simply too early to say um, whether you should or shouldn't cancel your trip. I mean, things are changing hourly, let alone, I mean, who knows what's going to be happening in a month from now or two months from now. By waiting a little bit longer, um, there's a few advantages. I mean, firstly, you'll have a better idea of the likely situation at the time that you're due to travel. In most cases, the penalty for changing or cancelling a flight will be the same regardless of whether you cancel now or a few weeks before your trip. So by waiting, um, yeah, you, you do get the benefit of um, of knowing kind of a bit better what's going to happen. But also there's a chance that the airline may cancel your flight anyway. Um, I mean, there are a lot of flights being cancelled and it seems to be happening a couple of months out at the moment. Um, there's also a chance that the airline might issue a travel waiver um, and in both of these cases, you would then have the right to change or cancel your bookings without penalty because um, because of the waiver or because your flight has been cancelled by the airline. Now, personally, I'm avoiding booking overseas travel to the affected areas at the moment. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that I'm going to stop travelling completely just yet, but I am keeping an eye on what's happening and I am avoiding making long-term travel plans at this point. I do currently have a book, uh, a trip booked in three months' time, which includes travel to the Middle East and Asia, and already some of the flights I had originally been booked on, um, including flights out of Korea, have been cancelled. Now, I'm not going to make a final decision right now on whether to take the trip or not, simply because I don't know what's going to happen. The, the whole situation is very unpredictable. Um, now, I am optimistic that the panic will subside and the outbreak will be brought under control soon. So I'm, hopefully, I'm hopeful that I'll be able to take the trip and that life will return to normal quickly. Now, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts about this whole situation. Have you been personally affected? How do you plan to get through this? You can share your thoughts and experiences with me on the AFF on Air discussion thread, which is linked, as always, in the episode notes. And by the way, if you'd like to keep up to dates with the latest uh, news surrounding the coronavirus, there is an informative new podcast that I think is, uh, is worth mentioning that's been put out by the ABC called Coronacast, clever name. Um, and the ABC is releasing daily updates through this podcast about the situation as it unfolds. Well, I'm, I'm sorry to have talked for the last 20 minutes in this episode about coronavirus. I realize it is a little bit of a depressing topic, but uh, given the extraordinary events of the past few weeks, I think the subject is unavoidable. But I'm now going to leave the topic here and let's move on to some more positive stuff. Well, if you currently hold elite status with Qantas, Emirates, or any uh, One World or Sky Team airline, in fact, you could be eligible for a Star Alliance status match with TAP Air Portugal, which is a member of the Star Alliance. Plus, after getting the gold status match, you can even nominate a friend or family member to also receive a complimentary uh, 
tap membership if you go for the Star Alliance gold match. So here's how it works. With the current tap Portugal status match promotion, you could receive Star Alliance silver or gold status for six months. And in fact, you don't even have to step foot on a tap Portugal aircraft, but you would need to be prepared to spend uh, at least $118 on tap miles. Now, if you have Qantas Gold, Platinum or Platinum 1 status, you do you would qualify for a Star Alliance Gold status match. And if you have Qantas Silver status, you'd qualify for Star Alliance Silver. Um, to apply for the status match, you would need to join the TAP Air Portugal Miles and Go Frequent Flyer program on the airline's website by the 31st of March. And when you join, you'll be given an option to upload a picture of your current Frequent Flyer membership card. And you just have to um, take a photo of the card, make sure that your status, your name, and the expiry date of the status is clear in your photo. And um, if your current status qualifies, you'll automatically be eligible for the status match. Now, there is one more step. After signing up, you would either need to make any purchase of TAP Miles and Go Miles um, or take out a TAP Miles and Go Club membership in order to um, to take advantage of the status match. And you would also have to do that by the 31st of March. Now, the cheapest option would be to purchase 2,000 TAP Miles and Go Miles. That would cost you 70 euros, which is equivalent at the moment to 118 Australian dollars. Once you do that, your status match will be processed and you'll get to keep the benefits of your Miles and Go Silver or Gold status, which is equivalent to Star Alliance Silver or Gold until the 31st of September 2020. And with your status, you'll get all of the usual Star Alliance silver and gold benefits, depending on your tier, including priority boarding, additional baggage allowance, and lounge access. Uh, and these benefits aren't um, just useful on, on TAP Air Portugal. Of course, as a Star Alliance member, you can use these on all of the Star Alliance airlines, including Air New Zealand, Singapore Airlines, Thai Airways, Air Canada, Lufthansa, and United. Now, a unique benefit of the TAP Miles and Go program is that if you have gold status, you also have the ability to nominate another TAP Miles and Go member for a companion gold membership. And this member will also receive Star Alliance gold benefits. Now, a couple of the US blogs have uh, specifically asked TAP about this, and TAP has actually confirmed that if you get a status like gold status through this promotion, you do also still qualify for the companion gold membership, which is quite a perk considering that um, anyone with gold, Qantas gold, platinum, or platinum one status can apply for this match and, uh, and get it for only $118. Now, to extend after the 31st of September your uh, TAP Miles and Go status for one more year, you would then need to earn a certain uh, amount of status miles by flying on TAP or its partner airlines, including Star Alliance Airlines, uh, by the 30th of September. Now, for the silver status match, you'd need to earn 10,000 status miles. And for the gold status match, you'd need to earn 25,000 status miles by the end of September. Normally, to earn gold status, you need to earn 70,000 status miles in 12 months. If you're interested in this, there is uh, more detail and a link to the TAP website in the uh, episode notes. Finally, today, I wanted to let you know about an upcoming webinar that I'll be hosting on Frequent Flyer Solutions, our sister website. On Wednesday, the 18th of March, I'll be hosting a webinar about how to take advantage of award chart sweet spots with airlines and uh, how to maximize the value you get, therefore, when you're redeeming your points. Now, I want to give you a couple of examples of these sweet spots. 
So with the Singapore Airlines Chris Flyer program, there's a fixed mileage cost to fly with any Star Alliance airline anywhere within a zone that Chris Flyer calls Southwest Pacific. Now, in practice, that means that it's the same price to fly from, say, Sydney to Auckland as it would be to fly from Perth to Tahiti, flying on Air New Zealand. And in economy class, this would only cost you 12,500 Chris Flyer miles one way plus taxes, which is quite a deal flying from Perth all the way to Tahiti. In another example, there's a loophole in the United Mileage Plus Frequent Flyer program where it's extremely cheap for some reason to fly from the Pacific Islands to Japan, even if you fly via Australia. In fact, it's cheaper than flying just from Australia to Japan. Now, these kinds of tricks uh, that I've just mentioned work um, the way they do because the airlines have defined geographic zones in their region-based award charts. Of course, Qantas Frequent Flyer and Virgin Australia's Velocity Frequent Flyer use different kind of award charts. They use distance-based award charts. And in these cases, the best value can be found by redeeming for short but expensive flights or by redeeming for a flight that covers um, a large amount of distance within its zone but without creeping into, the, into a higher zone. And I'll give you an example of that. Brisbane to Canberra as a route is 593 miles long. Now, with Qantas and Virgin, both of them are the same. Awards that are for flights up to 600 miles in length uh, are in zone one, so they cost the lowest possible number of points. Um, and Brisbane to Canberra being 593 miles is under 600 miles, so it's in zone one, meaning for an economy class award, you only need 8,000 Qantas points or 7,800 velocity points. Uh, now, tickets on this route are normally at least $200 and often much higher than that, in fact, during peak times or when Parliament's sitting. So that is an excellent use of points. If you'd like to learn more about these uh, loopholes and how to find sweet spots in airline award charts, I would encourage you to register for the upcoming webinar on the 18th of March. Uh, and please know that you do need to register in advance to attend either live or to receive a recording of the webinar. So if you're interested, check out the link. Once again, it's in the episode notes. Or you can visit the Frequent Flyer Solutions website, frequentflyer.com.au, for more information. That's just about all for another episode of AFF On Air. Thank you so much for listening, as always. For more information about anything discussed in today's episode, check out the episode notes where you will find a lot of links this fortnight, uh, including a link to the AFF on air discussion thread. I would be interested to know how you've been impacted by the coronavirus outbreak, and uh, if you'd like to share your thoughts with me, the AFF on air discussion thread is the place to do that. A quick shout out to Paul Tyler1981 and to Coolius, who recently reviewed AFF on air on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much to both of you. I do really appreciate that. If you too are enjoying this podcast, please do consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe to AFF On Air on your favorite podcast platform to get access to each episode as soon as it's released on Saturday mornings. I'm Matt Graham. I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips and tricks for Australian travelers. Hopefully more positive news then. But until then, safe travels. Safe travels.